0: Hey guys, check this out! and welcome to Check This Out, a podcast where we take an analytical view of the media that appeals to us as individuals and why. I am L, your host, and with me today is special guest and enemy of the show, Chris. If you would, please introduce yourself and tell us a bit about yourself.
1: Hey L. hey everybody, uh, thanks for having me on. Um, my name is Chris, as previously mentioned, and enemy of the show. Um, oh god, where to start? Uh, I'm uh, <laughs> I'm a regular sort of Australian-born and bred uh, uh, consumer of media, um, uh, and I've uh, I've known L for oh, I want to say sort of tangentially, uh, probably almost six or seven years now through various online communities.
0: I would have thought it'd be longer than that. Uh, I
1: was gonna say ten, but time's a weird, non-constant mess right now, so. It could could be six, could be fifteen.
0: <laughs> could be like three minutes. Who knows?
1: Could be three minutes. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm not 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 much else to talk through. I'm I'm uh, I'm fairly run of the mill, bog standard guy.
0: Yeah, fair enough. And sometimes that's what you need. Exactly. If everyone was special, no one would be special.
1: Exactly. I'll I'll stick by that. <laughs>
0: Now, you're bringing something to the table that you enjoy and are passionate about. Could you talk a little bit about it in your own words?
1: Absolutely. So today, uh, I, I'm coming to you, this, this welcome to my TED Talk. I'm here to explain why um, every Australian uh, born for the last 50 years uh, quintessentially defines the, the best and most Australian iconic film as The Castle. And I claim baloney. I think that's hogwash. Uh, I maintain the best Australian film, and the, the prototypical Australian film is Crackerjack by uh, Mick Malloy. A fantastic tour de force about a middle-aged loser uh, who turns into a patron saint and, and saviour of a local bowls club.
0: Which is just a very Australian sentence to begin with.
1: It really is. It's just, it's absolutely beautiful. I think when I originally... Um, tweeted about this, the conversation we had was um, uh, the reason the castle isn't valid anymore is because it's about land ownership. The reason Crackerjack is is because it's about a drunk who goes bowling, and if you've ever worked in an office job in Australia, you've been a drunk who's gone to a bowls club.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of the national identity almost.
1: It it really is. Uh, Cricket's nice, but you've got to wear equipment. Uh bowls is great because it's, it's easy, it's low effort, and the beer is cheap. Yeah. Well,
0: it's all aimed at, like, the elderly, so, you know, you've got to get that pension money. Exactly. Uh, cool. So I have my prepared list of questions that are designed to delve a little bit deeper into that enjoyment of yours, if that's all right.
1: Beautiful. Go for it.
0: Question one. Imagine I was someone who's recently been awoken from a coma or resurrected from being frozen in ice or even an inanimate object gifted knowledge of modern times and sentience. Essentially, I know what media is, but I've never experienced any. How would you explain Crackerjack without comparing it to something that I wouldn't know?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. So up until that last sentence, it's very easy. But I think uh geez, it's uh it's hard to hard to quantify that. Right up until the last sentence of uh if, if, uh, without comparing it to something else, uh, I had an idea, but I think if I were to, to take a single sentence, it'd be, uh, this is a really good example of, uh, Australiana at its best. Uh, and the reason I say that, it's an underdog story at heart with a mildly irritating main character who's a sarcastic, chain smoking, drinking idiot, uh, who, despite all of that, uh, you love and you want to win. Um, it's the perfect low-stakes sports epic. So uh, instead of things being, you know, win the thing and uh, and take your team to the the national championship or the international championship or the Olympics, uh, the the entire uh, sort of stakes of Crackerjack is a few thousand dollars to stop the local bowls club going under, uh, so that Mick Malloy, our uh, our, I'm going to say hero in heavy air quotes, uh, can keep his uh, initially can keep his parking spots, uh, but in the end is because he grows to love the club, and that's just what you want to see. It's a it's an idiot who learns to to love a thing and grow some responsibility.
0: Yeah, and to use a, a very well known Australian example of like the underdog, uh, the Stephen Bradbury story.
1: A hundred percent. Except Stephen Bradbury uh, had to train and and uh, continue to excel, and he had to practice, and he he wanted to get where he was. And again, the the stakes were much higher for him. Um, but it is a very similar situation. It's sort of failing, f- failing upwards at its finest. Yeah.
0: Uh, again, the the quintessential Australian story.
1: Exactly, exactly. The other thing that's that's phenomenal about this movie is, um, is I mean, you know, it came out in the early two thousands, I believe. I should have had uh, this
0: two thousand and two. from there we go. I was
1: going to say two thousand and four. So you're you're, you're better read than I am. Um, is looking back and watching this through the lens of someone 20 years on and recognising Australian faces. uh, uh, It was all filmed in-house in in Victoria, um, which is where it's set. It was all Australian cast members, um, and a lot of them are uh, in, (laughs) in sort of an Australian equivalent of the uh, Happy Madison gang, where all of them are the same faces appearing in different stories. Uh, Mick Malloy's made a couple of different movies, and he regularly employs the same core group of people to play different roles. Um, but it's it's phenomenal looking back and seeing these kid versions of people who are still Australian media personalities, um, because it's it's very interesting to see you know, 20 years, a snapshot of where we were.
0: Yeah. And you can go to certain people and go, Oh God, you've aged horribly.
1: Oh yeah. Uh, Mick, Mick Malloy is now everyone's dad. <laughs> he's, he's just, he, you know, he's, he's Um, at the time he was a, a mid twenties to mid thirties, you know, dude, a uh, bit of a belly, you know, bad hair, bad facial hair. Now, he's going grey a bit, he's put on a lot of a belly, you know, he's, uh, he's, he's a bit more jowly than he was, and you can yeah. see the natural progression.
0: <laughs> just how time destroys us all.
1: It's just atrocious.
0: <laughs> okay, uh, question two. Hypothetically, our positions are reversed, and I'm guesting on your immensely popular and award-winning podcast. I've just answered the previous question with your response verbatim. What stood out to you the most?
1: Well, for one thing, it's how phenomenally well well-written and uh and clean the prose was. Uh like it was forged from the angels. Uh but if I were to talk about content, um I think the the thing that stands out to me is that it's an underdog story, um which everyone loves. Everyone loves an underdog story. It's why betting exists. Um <laughs> if if people didn't love an underdog, then uh, every piece of sports betting would be who, who do we think is going to win? Everyone bets on them, but an underdog story exists because we like to see the little guy getting it up over the big guy. And and at its heart, I think as I mentioned, that's, that's sort of why uh, I relate it to the castle because that's what that was. It was a little guy getting it up over the big guy. In that case, it was uh, a small family getting it up over a corporation um, in this case it's the, you know, the early, tw- mid-20s loser getting it up over the crooked media and um, uh, uh, sort of game sports owning uh, uh, entrepreneur. And it's, well, barren, I think is a better word. Um, and it's, it's that's what jumps out at me is the underdog story. I think it's it's something that's not as often uh, uh, explored in a way that I find Enjoyable um, because it, everything has to be massive stakes.
0: Yeah, and it, it's also—I mean—it is a genre that is a little bit of a dying breed because you don't get the the what was it—the bad news bears or like a Sandlot kids or anything like that. Absolutely, not as even, much anymore. Even, Everyone wants the big Marvel like showy explosion things.
1: A hundred percent. Even when you you think about you know mid 70s um rocky is an underdog story and it's one of the most critically acc- acclaimed movies of all time because he was a little down and out you know who was picked up and and given his shot in the limelight and he he made it work i i think it like you said it's a dying breed i think it's un- underrepresented this this sort of time frame because everything escalates um everything always escalates and and it's it's interesting that you mention the Marvel movies. Um, I think that's a really good example of it. The if you look at the first sort of entries into the the Marvel genre, um, Iron Man fights guys of his own making. Um, Captain America's in World War II. We can probably put that one on a on a side burner. Um,
0: put it on ice.
1: Yeah. We'll, oh, oh, that's <laughs> awful. Oh, I love it. Um, but if you if you look at the stakes in the first couple of sort of first couple of, uh, of phases with a couple of outliers. They're not universe shattering, massive damaging uh, component. They're, they're little stories about people. When you start looking at the later ones, everything's escalated, you know, uh, with, with a few exceptions, everything's escalated. Um, and that's, that's just where the new stakes start to happen. So when, yeah. when infinity war and, and end game finish, and we move in, and we've moved into phase four. Um, the little stories don't seem big enough anymore.
0: Yeah, you no longer have your friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man. You have Spider-Man who went to space and saved the galaxy.
1: Exactly, and that's a hundred percent. And it's it's why I think they've had to reset with uh, a sort of actually <laughs> taking a note here. Um, when are we publishing this? And what do we feel about spoilers?
0: Uh, uh, probably after this re- is recorded, and
1: eh, okay, good because I'm gonna I'm gonna go. This is why they have to reset. They had to reset in No Way Home when he <laughs> lost it, when everybody and they went. Oh, actually, I could really garner some hatred. Um, okay, so yeah, I completely agreed, hundred percent. I think that's why. Uh, in No Way Home, they had to completely reset that expectation he's no longer Spider-Man Peter Barker who went to space um, he is the friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man and everybody's forgotten who he is because you need to reset that underdog expectation and that little guy living the, the big life but not necessarily uh, the same scale as um, as it was before
0: even if they did kind of weirdly stuff it up with just forgetting Peter Parker and Spider-Man is still a thing that had the entire history.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mm. I, look, I really liked that movie. I genuinely did. Um, I feel like the fact that they they had Happy come and talk to uh, Aunt May's grave and go, I know her through Spider-Man, that one scene... Probably fueled eighty five percent of the internet discourse around. But hang on, how does that work? Luckily, this is a prime example of we can literally say a wizard did it and move on.
0: Yeah, and really, what are what are people spending all their time watching kids movies for?
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, Excuse me. I think you'll find when you hit the same xylophone, the same uh, uh, bone in uh, Scratchy's rib cage, it played two different notes.
0: And I, que- I counter that with your Genius at Work t-shirt.
1: Exactly. <laughs>
0: uh, question three. Uh, we can tell that this is a subject that you care about, but what got you to give it a chance in the first place?
1: So here's an interesting thing. I actually hadn't watched this movie before the lockdown in uh, 2020 began. So uh, it was something that I knew existed um, and you know, it had been on tv a couple of times when i was growing up um but i never actually watched it and then in 2020 when everything happened capital e capital h um, the,
0: the backstreet boys reunion tour yes
1: yeah that's the one yeah 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 when uh, <laughs> when when everybody suddenly became very invested in their apartments and houses um i uh i kind of went on a media binge um and and you know started i, I picked up every uh streaming service under the sun and started going through and watching stuff that I hadn't seen before. And so I found this on, I think at the time it was Netflix. Uh, It is since not on Netflix. Uh, But I found it, watched it with a few beers in me and absolutely loved it. I went, actually, this is really good. And have since watched it, I would probably say 20 or so times. Um, it's, It's become one of my staples of... Uh, light, entertaining, comedic background watching, because it's funny and it's easy to watch and it's not massive investment of brain power. Uh, And I'll tell you, if there's one thing I haven't had over the last three years, it's a massive surplus of brain power.
0: I, I think that's just universally applicable
1: exactly it's it's yeah, the the um the great unpleasantness has been really good for sapping the energy out of people
0: yeah although you know staying home would sounds really good i wish i wish
1: uh yeah see it's interesting the um the first couple of months i was like oh this is great i get to work from home every day uh but i do live in a small two bedroom in a sydney apartment uh with my girlfriend and two cats um from where I am currently sitting, which is at my my desk in the main room, uh, which is not just where I work, but also where my gaming computer is, I can literally see every part of the apartment. Um, So there is an element of smallness to that. And I do kind of miss being able to go into the office. Um, But, you know, needs must. Yeah.
0: I I mean, as someone who very much did not get the chance to isolate or remain home or do anything like that... uh, you're not missing much.
1: No, I think the, the genuine, genuinely the only thing I'm missing is the the um, sort of interconnectedness. It's it's something I I actually read this uh, online a little while ago. But um, if there's if there's one unintended side effect of the pandemic that we've all realised, um, it's determining exactly how much of an introvert you actually are, because uh, I used to think absolutely an introvert, but actually I think I'm, I'm sort of an intrextrovert. Um, I recharge at home, but I 100% need human interaction or I go loopy. Um, and work used to fulfill that sort of passively. Um, but when we had, you know, six months of lockdown in Sydney, uh, and it was, my, my girlfriend was off work because uh, everything had shut down and she works in retail. And so we had six months where we were basically, you know, 24 seeing each other and, and sitting on each other's lap. Um, it was, uh, it was a, a very stark realization that actually I, I sort of need the outside world a little bit. So it uh, yeah. D- does
0: make you wonder about like how many relationships started or ended because of that.
1: Just like,
0: this is like the ultimate test.
1: Yeah, absolutely. This is, this is, uh, I, I completely agree. I think there's some very interesting in, in five years when it's maybe not so raw, I think there's probably some very interesting, um, uh, sort of socio, uh, economic data to be reviewed on, you know, how many relationships started and ended, um, how many, uh, you know wh- what the situation is with regards to all this millennial saving I keep hearing about but not seeing. Um, I-, I think there's there's it's definitely a uh, a sort of sparking point for change, societally, uh, and something that's going to be retrospectively very neat to see.
0: I think uh, I read like just a snippet of a report from the UK. Actually, it's like over the last. Couple of years, twenty-two uh, percent of people self-reported that they're happier being single and just will not be dating ever again. Yep, and eight percent said they are far more open to same-sex relationships than they have ever been.
1: Absolutely, Yep. completely agreed. I uh, I saw the th- I saw I don't know if it was the same report, but I actually saw one I want to say yesterday um, that was a, a woman saying, "Actually, I'm thirty-seven, I'm single, and I'm happy being single." And and that's just a, a thing that's sort of come out over the last three or four years, and they realised maybe the whole societal go-and-get-married-or-you're-a-degenerate um, is not relevant.
0: I, I think I did see that same one, and it's just like, well, that's a little bit of sour grapes for me, as someone who is a lifelong aromantic asexual. Yes, so it's like, oh, come! I was here first. Yeah, come yeah, on.
1: exactly right. Yeah, yeah. You should, clearly, you should, at the very least, you should get royalties.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it is. You know, the the cis white woman that gets the publicity.
1: Yeah, I. You know, I Not I, to get
0: too controversial. Yeah, I
1: was going to say, I'm I'm going to stay entirely out of that as a as a cis largely hetero. Uh, sort of asterisk white guy in his mid-30s uh, it's the old the Homer Simpson character uh, the Homer Simpson quote uh, I'm a you know I'm a white male in his uh, <laughs> I'm a white male aged 20 to 50 everyone listens to me
0: <laughs> uh, I made myself sad
1: yeah yeah <laughs> At question four mm.
0: for some people a sense of community and like-mindedness are integral to their enjoyment of something to your knowledge, is there a community around Crackerjack that you're aware of? And if so, what are they like?
1: It's a very interesting question. I, I don't know, actually. Um, what I will say is that it's become one of the movies that I regularly spruik to everybody I can. So whether or not there's an active, quote unquote, Crackerjack community, um, uh, I think it's something that I very much like the idea of promoting back out. I think it's it's an interesting one to see, right? I think uh old media old media, it's twenty years old. It's barely even old enough to uh it's it's not old enough to drink in the States. Um, but uh older media is something that that often gets brought back up as, you know, cult classics. And I think this is something that falls under cult Australian classic. Um maybe not as, as massively successful when it came out, but something that I could very easily see being done at a you know, Australiana Revival uh, uh movie marathon at a theatre in the Inner West.
0: Mm. I was literally just going to say, it's like you're probably not going to see too many uh, things on the level of, like, Rocky Horror where you get everyone in your, in your bowling whites go down to the club for a screening.
1: Yep. No, I think that's probably unlikely. But 100% if they did a, you know, classic Australiana movie marathon where you had you know, The Castle and Mad Max and Cracker Jack and Wolf Creek and a bunch of other sort of classic Australianas. And I, that's a that's a whiplash of a thematic <laughs> lineup that I've just put mm. in there, but but you know where I'm going with that. I think that's this would be something that I I could see featuring in that because it, it really is a, a very classic Australian feeling movie. And I feel like one that that has I don't want to say past people by but maybe doesn't get the same level of of um uh sort of recognition as a lot of other movies in in the Australiana uh genre.
0: Yeah it, it w- didn't get the chance to have critical acclaim or critical panning.
1: Exactly, which is which is I think actually really disappointing because it's it is a really well constructed, you know, 3 to 4 act story um and I'm I one of the things I I thought about the other day is um I want to evaluate this but I'm 99% sure it follows the hero's journey because <laughs> it starts with the call to action he declines the call he comes in reluctantly he picks up his weapon he begins his journey he returns home and then he is happy and and content in his situation and I want to actually lay it out but I'm I'm like 99% sure that it, it it adheres to that and if so this might be my favorite adaptation of the hero's journey ever. You
0: yeah. I mean, you just don't get the the 2 uh, 2 hours session of screaming to power up.
1: Well this is it it's you know it's the um <clears throat> it's the Australiana kai as opposed to the original <laughs> screening.
0: <laughs> yeah not not the original Z dub of Australiana
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Far less uh, filler on Namek in Cracker Jack than, uh, than in previous iterations.
0: But do you get to see Mick Malloy learning to drive?
1: No, but you do actually see a section of it. It's funny you say that. One moment. It's funny you say that because the opening scene is him uh, uh, driving through. So I haven't actually gone too deep into it, but the, the, the storyline um, centers around Uh, Jack as an Australian idiot um, in Melbourne who works opposite a bowling club and for about 10 years has been a member at said bowling club um, so that he can have the free parking for members across the road from his work rather than having to pay parking uh, uh, costs in the centre of Melbourne. And he works for a, a bank. He's a he's working as a call center in a call center in a bank. He is very obviously uh, a degenerate. Um, there's a there's a very amusing uh, scene where he's being. brought... Anyone that's ever worked in a call center knows about this scene. But they basically uh, he's sitting in a in a you know sort of call quality assessment with a supervisor who's listening to one of the calls from somebody else in the team saying this is great what was so great about that so well she did this and she did that and she promoted the online banking and she da da da, da. So i'm going to give this a 84.17% clap 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 and it's just it's ingrained in every person that's ever worked in a call center's soul when they see that um <laughs> but the the opening scene is this hilarious uh, uh he's you know he pulls up to a, a set of lights um there's uh as a throughput actually throughout the whole movie of um just little snippets of uh, radio so sort of like talkback radio um with some really upsettingly accurate talkback radio uh, uh sort of commentary um largely uh it largely um I'm going to say racially insensitive, which is just upsetting to know how accurate that is. But, uh, he's sitting there, he's listening to his talk back radio. He pulls up to a satellites. Um, one of the, you know, homeless guy comes up and cleans the window, uh, you know, puts his hand out for the coin and he just drives off. And as he's going into the intersection, uh, another bloke pulls up and goes to turn and Malloy pulls up and honks his horn and just gives him an earful. Um, and it's, it's hilarious because it's the most Australian earful I've ever heard. I mean, where did you learn? It's, it's an older bloke. And he says, where did you learn to drive your hat-wearing fool on horseback? What the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> and it's just this, this beautiful um, curse-free bollocking in the, the perfect uh, Australian uh, uh, sort of vein of yelling mm. at people in our own language. <laughs>
0: I I I know uh, my dad's kind of mellowed out a little bit when driving, but one of his favourites was, Oh, where'd you get your license out of a box of wheat bags?"
1: Perfect. That that's exactly it. It's it's curse-free, it's extremely PG, but you know what he's saying. It's beautiful. Yeah. My um my dad used to <laughs> quite regularly actually, one of one of the um Maybe it's just a dad thing. They, they mellow out with age. But, um, but mine used to quite regularly call people who cut him off in traffic flaming pelicans. Get a load of this <laughs> flaming pelican.
0: Oh, you couldn't get more, was you?
1: It's 100%. And it's, it's absolutely entered my lexicon, largely actually, when I'm talking to Americans, because you ham it up for the crowd.
0: Oh yeah, i i did a i did a vacation in the U.S. literally a month before everything kicked off. So I think pretty good timing. Yeah. But whenever I would go into a into a shop, it's like normally I'd go, "Oh hey, how are you going?" But no, when you're in the U.S., you go, "Hey, how are you going?"
1: Yeah. Go, how are you going? Yeah. Oh
0: no, nah, I'm just having a sticky beak.
1: Oh yeah, God, I I love the Australian. I I'm big big fan of um. Oh yeah, just taking a gander at that one.
0: Yeah, just having a butcher's thanks.
1: That's it. It's it's hilarious. I I I love flummoxing foreigners. And yeah, uh, and we it's, just... it's it's never used in common conversation in Australia. It's oh, very God, real, no we no, it sounds ridiculous, but
0: when, when's the last time you or I have ever genuinely said "g'day"?
1: Oh, quite regularly, I do it all oh, the time. Okay. That's yeah. Oh no, 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 I'm a bad use case for that because I'm I'm the, the now that I'm in my mid thirties, I am extremely Australian, um, but I yeah I I quite regularly g'day people, um, unironically. But five years ago, the question stood.
0: Yeah, but it's like I basically never say that. Except mm-hmm. when I was in the States and it's just like, oh yeah, drop it every time I get Absolutely. just to confuse people. Cause a- I find it funny
1: a hundred a- percent. It's the verbal equivalent of drop bears. It's um, yeah. it's the actually genuinely, I think it's the verbal equivalent of people who wear the flag of their country on their backpack mm. because nobody else is going to, you know, it's it's like um, Americans who wear Canadian flags to hide it. We're not hiding. We're not, we're not hiding anything it be ridiculous. I'm Australian. I'm going to be as loud and as brusque as I possibly can, but I'm going to do it with Australian class.
0: Yeah, the good old larrikin nature.
1: Absolutely. I um, I was, I was actually having this conversation with with my uh, with my dad recently, <clears throat> and he said, any Australian is welcome in any bar anywhere in the anywhere on the planet because we have. Basically, it's probably not as accurate now as it used to be, but um, we can make friends in any bar in the, on the planet in five minutes because there's typically three things we talk about. I'll buy you a beer. How's local sports team going? Oh, yeah, I know about that. We'll do this. Uh, and third is to hell with the British. And <laughs> that works everywhere, including in England.
0: Oh yeah. They they know what they're on about.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. It, and particularly when you start the conversation with I'll buy everyone a beer, but none of that piss warm you know, piss weak warm stuff that you guys call beer. Anyway, do you see the rugby? God, what's wrong with you people? Your largest export is sports that all your colonies beat you at. Anyway, to hell with the British. And then you raise a beer and everyone's friends with you. <clears throat> yeah. So it's uh it's that good natured larrikinism. And uh and I think it's it's Uh, endemic everywhere we go.
0: Um, Question five. Mm. There are many aspects of media that resonate differently with different people. What is your favorite part?
1: (sighs) That is a very interesting question. I like, so one, particularly lately, and I think this is absolutely a, 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 a sort of side effect of the, the, you know, capital T, capital T, the times, uh, that we live in. But I think the thing I like particularly about this is the low stakes to it. Um, they, uh, they make a point throughout the whole thing. It's, it's, you know, the, 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 the prize is $7,000 to save the, the bowling club. You know, it's like the win $5,000 to, to save the rec center. Um, uh and they make a point throughout that, you know, Mick Malloy's an absolute natural. If he if he stopped messing around and applied himself, uh, he'd have a twelve hundred dollar bowling arm. And it's it's this low stakes uh in the grand scheme of things. And I think given the last five years, ten years of, of international climate and the fact that everything's on fire all the time everywhere, uh, it's nice to have a low stakes. Uh, sort of uh, moderately amusing, satirical parody movie. Um, that you can still get invested in.
0: Yeah, it's like each one of his fingers is insured for fifty dollars.
1: Exactly, hundred percent. He's you know, is is the he's an absolute natural. If he wanted to, he could go and become the the Don Bradman of bowls. Um, <laughs> and he's got a twelve hundred dollar bowling arm. It's it's absolutely great. It's this. Uh, It's important to the people involved, but it's so low stakes in the grand scheme of things. Uh, And I I like that. I think it's, it's, um, like I said before, it's nice to not have apocalyptic uh, world-ending, you know, um, uh, terror every time you watch a movie. Um,
0: Or or even, like, using the the sports genre as the example. It's like not everything has to be you win the Super Bowl or your mother dies of like a broken heart or something.
1: Exactly. I, I mentioned Rocky before he was battling for the world heavyweight championship. Not everything has to be for the world heavyweight championship. And it's actually a good example. I, I, they never made a sequel to this, but if they did, it's a perfect example of how that limits you because Rocky, number one, world championship. Number two, the same world championship, the same deviled egg. Number three, World Championship, except he got cocky. Number four, World Championship against the guy who just beat the former world champion to death in the ring. Number five, World Championship, except now he's old. It's the same movie with a different filter on top. And so there's nowhere to go, nowhere to grow. And I think that's that's interesting. I mean, I don't know where you can necessarily grow with a... Uh, where the sequel can come from a movie about saving yeah. a bowls club, but the principle stands.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I assume the sequel would be a rival bowls club it wants to expand or something.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, right? Because the, that's, that's literally the, the, um, the plot of this one is sort of is um the the bowls club is out of money. Uh, You know, people aren't joining. There's no, no fees coming in. And so, Bernie Fowler, the, uh, the, the Baron of, uh, what they the, the, the bowls, the, the, Las Vegas of bowls clubs where he's introduced pokies and, you know, Kino and it's, you can't bring food in. You've got to buy it on site. And it's, it's, uh, he's portrayed as this absolute devil of a character, um, is trying to swoop in and buy CitySide, which is the the club that they're saving. Um, by a buying it out, and B renovating it and putting in five hundred Pokies. And they hate it; they don't want they don't want Pokies. It's it's very anti, which is which is very amusing because it's such an Australian thing is the the war on Pokies. Mm. Um, uh, so it's that's that's another. Very hilarious hook in the tail there. Uh, and probably doesn't mean anything outside of Australia, which I think is, is very amusing to me. I,
0: I was going to say, for the international listeners, uh, pokies are the poker slot
1: machines. Correct. They're basically the walls of them that you see in every uh, shot when you go to the Bellagio in in Vegas. And they, you walk through and there's hundreds of these things in banks of five with with, you know, older people sitting there slotting coins in one after the other, after the other, uh, they're Skinner boxes. Um, and as, as Bernie Fowler makes the point of saying, um, they're absolutely rigged so that they can't win. Uh, you know, he says they, they turn over $50,000 a year per machine because they're absolutely programmed that you can't win. Nobody can win. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. And I think that's hilarious and very on the nose because that's absolutely mimicking the conversation that's going on, that's been going on in Australia for fifteen years. Yeah, it's um you know in in Western Australia they have maintained the only place that you are allowed poker machines is in the casino, Burwood Casino, Crown Casino now is the only place in Australia and in th- in Western Australia and I think possibly one casino up towards Broome. Which, for the outside of Australians, uh, is the other end of the the state. Um, it's like having one in Florida and one in New York. Um, the
0: distance is probably about accurate. So yeah, yeah.
1: I had to I had to think. For I was going to say you know, New York and Canada, but even that's not far. It's one on the the very south and one on the very north of the continent.
0: And um, don't get it. Don't get us started about Texas. It's been measured. Western yeah, Australia I, is bigger.
1: Absolutely. You can fit Texas three times in WA. It's, um, everything's bigger in Texas except Texas, which isn't big enough for Western Australia. Pew, pew, pew. Um,
0: I I know that, um, there was a bit of a fervor about, um, the South Sydney leagues club getting rid of all the pokies. Absolutely. Like, well, why would you do that? That's your revenue. Mm-hmm. And then it's just like, well, no, because it's bad.
1: Yeah. Yep. It's, it's interesting. Um, one of the things I've I've noted about in a sort of in a, in a West Sydney at the moment, um, having lived here for seven years now, basically every pub has a VIP room, which is your smoking and pokies. Um, and one of the things that's happening in the last couple of years, uh, which is which is great, honestly, is um, a whole bunch of pubs that are getting renovated are getting rid of the pokies. They're they're stripping them away. Um, don't need it anymore. There's one near my place that uh has recently been re-renovated um and they got rid of the pokies and turned that whole thing into a kid's room so like a a playroom and crèche for families that want to bring kids to the pub for lunch and whatnot and then someone goes and takes the kids in there and and you know everybody else can can stay out and have a few beers i think that's fantastic
0: Yeah. yeah you have your your bistro section and then you have your actual bar
1: and and it's great. It means that you don't have this sort of quarter of it, um, which is predatory uh uh you know um habit inducing uh economically unviable stomping ground for people who who don't need that in their lives. Um
0: I, I thought you said they kept the bar. Now
1: <laughs> now nah, nah, let's not let's not be un Australian. The bar is an important part. <laughs>
0: Uh, question six following on from the previous question Mm -hmm. what do you think would appeal most about crackerjack to the general public
1: uh it is a perfect australian snapshot um that i have already used to introduce to to people outside of australia what australian filmmaking does so Even though it was made twenty years ago, this is a terrifying sentence to say out loud. But even though it was twenty years ago, it's extremely applicable to right now, and it's it's a time capsule. Um, You know, there's uh, early two thousand and two was recent enough that it's not you know analog TVs and uh, uh, and you know um, landlines only, Um, but it's far enough away that nobody has a, a, a you know smartphone for example um but that doesn't really date it because it doesn't come up and it's it's great it's a little snapshot of uh a sort of australian culture um there's the, the the repeated jokes about they um so they're they're at the bar in the bowls club and uh, and he goes off to go get his uh, his beers at at drinks and he comes back and he goes, this is incredible, boys. Genuine 1972 prices. And he's got his four little schooners of beer and it cost him a $20 note. And it's great. It's this perfect little Australia. And then they they snap away and they do the, the sort of time jump of coming back after the, the tea break. Um, and there's eight empty beers and an ashtray full of stubbed out cigarettes and... They're doing the sandwiches and the pavlovas and the whole... It's it's beautiful. It's this little snapshot of Australiana. And I think that's the thing that appeals most to me is you don't get that anywhere else. Um, most... I, I say this 100% knowing that it's not accurate, but I would say... Well, it's accurate-ish. I would say a very, very large amount of consumed media is Americanized. It's oh, in, absolutely. It's, it's- in... Homogeneous town usa
0: but that's why basically every country that i am aware of has a thing it's like no we need a required amount of homegrown content
1: absolutely yep the the um it's i mean it, this is this is the one i go but the canadian content right the the x percentage of your content has to be made in in Canada. And this this is a really good one actually. Crackerjack, I'm just going to double check it, but I'm 99% sure was 100% Australian. It was purely made uh it was filmed, it was all the the video effects and all the songs are Australian. It's it's fantastic. Um so I think it's it's something that is important um that we that we have our own you know, cultural uh, voice. Um, and it's a little disappointing that it's that it's largely gone away.
0: Yeah. Um, question seven. Say that I do end up enjoying this because of your excellent recommendation. Mm-hmm. What would be your number one follow-up? It doesn't necessarily have to be a sequel or anything, but oh. where would I turn if I wanted more of the same?
1: Jeez, that's an interesting one. Um, I'm going to cop out on this. I'm going to take the cheap answer. There's another... Mick Malloy movie that I've recently watched called I believe it's Bad Eggs. I'm just going to double check that, but uh, it came out <clears throat> yeah it came out in 2003, a year later, starring a large number of the same star the same people, and it's a comedic parody cop drama. Um, so it's uh, two cops who are. Uh, you know you know this is early 2003 so this take this with a grain of salt considering uh current climate um but two good cops in a bad precinct um but basically they are the uh the, but're they're, they're parrying it up quite well because they're the two cops that were put in the zero tolerance unit um armed to the teeth special investigative and and you know pa- uh, uh, special um, detainment powers, but they play it very clearly as a, this is a bad idea. Mm. Um, and they, they uncover a web of corruption in the, in the, uh, uh sort of mayorship and police department and, and, uh, and local government. Um, and it's also the other thing I would say about it. That's very much worth, um, worth recommending, uh, starring role for, uh, uh a bunch of, of very excellent, Uh, Australian actors not least of which is Sean McAuliffe who is an absolute national treasure
0: (laughs) yeah he needs another show
1: he does he's um mad mad as hell is is good um and is is very much uh a a good laugh but he um I think he needs a, a another thing that isn't just news parody
0: No, like uh, pseudo Colbert rapport thing.
1: Yeah, but. yeah. I think he he. Um, one of the things that I I like most about him is that he's believable in any role. Um, and uh, and I think it's. I mean, you know, I'm not <laughs> I'm not going to tell him he needs to go and do it because who the hell am I? And he can <laughs> he's a grown man. He can do what he wants. But I think it's um, uh, it's an untapped area of uh of of potential to have him doing pseudo-realistic news parody as opposed to a -a once-a-week Australian news drama. There was the one that he was in uh, a few years ago. I'm trying to remember what it was. Uh, One moment. Oh, where was it? So, talking about Your Generation was very amusing. That was the Australian um, sort of news game show. Um... Sorry, you'll want to cut this out while I remember exactly what I'm just looking at is uh, uh I cannot remember what it was. He was maybe it was the XPM was the one I was thinking of, but he's he's been in a lot of, of very good Australian Oh, Mr and Mrs Murder. That was it. It was one season and they were the Uh, they were a married couple that ran an industrial cleaning business uh, that went in and cleaned up crime series. Sorry, crime scenes, went in and cleaned up crime scenes, um, and as a result became amateur crime-fighting super sleuths. It was a very amusing show that sadly only got a a single season, um, but I think it was a very good uh, use of his talents because he was able to be... Funny and in-character and dry and sarcastic.
0: So that just, for some reason, reminded me of Let the Blood Run Free.
1: I'm not familiar.
0: Oh, boy. Are you one of today's lucky 10,000?
1: I believe I am.
0: Uh, So Let the Blood Run Free was a medical comedy drama series that was evolved out of an improv stage show. Okay. Every like every episode of it was improvised basically in the week before filming.
1: Oh, fantastic.
0: They had, at the end of every episode, a phone poll that you could vote to see what would happen.
1: Okay.
0: They had just a, a weirdly... It is so bizarrely Australian. I am surprised it hadn't come up for you.
1: I will absolutely... This is going to be one of those things that I absolutely... St- try and track down somewhere
0: It it is all available on youtube because Perfect. dvds are out of print
1: oh 100 and it, if i'm looking at it correctly it was from 1990 to 94 so uh probably in creative commons at this point so
0: yeah but it's just like okay the writers have no idea what the fans are going to vote for so we have to wait for the results to come in before we look at the script
1: fantastic yep putting that on the list
0: uh, oh, it's it's so very good,
1: excellent. Oh yeah, here we go. Twenty six from uh, Rush Cutter, Rush Cutter Entertainment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twenty six episodes uh, in a playlist, right there for my consumption. Beautiful. Put this on the watch later list.
0: You you will notice some very well known Australian comedy talents.
1: Excellent. That's what I like to see.
0: Uh, question eight. Uh, Sometimes our engagement with a piece of media comes from a position of relativity. Did you have a character that you related to and what drew you to them?
1: Yes. uh, Two of them actually. So uh, Jack Simpson, the main character played by Mick Molloy is every single office job worker in their early twenties. I basically saw a slightly curlier and longer mulleted hair version of myself. Um, you know, lives in a in a house with his mates, uh, drinks too much. Uh, you know, is is a bit of a dickhead. Uh, excuse the French. Um, absolutely clear cut, every man Australian. The other one um, is his, uh, I guess, sort of <laughs> uh, his offsider as is a main character, which is uh, Stan Coombs. Who's played by the late Bill Hunter, um, who is everyone's dad and granddad. He's the the sort of um, father figure. He's the captain of the bowls team. He's the straight shooter, no nonsense guy. Um, Very specifically, uh, he did. He he asks. uh, So they're they're doing their catch up at their first game, and stands. Doing in the conversation and small talk and he says what, what about you stan what did you do he said uh 20 years in the navy so my dad spent 20 years in the navy and at that point stan coombs became my dad <laughs> it's it's um it's astonishing uh the uh i guess uh the the symbolism uh that you get he uh you know they, they do a homebrew night where he comes around and they, they mess about in the, in the apartment getting drunk and, and having a, having a laugh. And then the next day he's uh, stands right as rain. Um, you know, he's uh, he's, he's up and he's early and he's doing stuff. Um, uh, Mick Malloy rolls up and he goes, um, uh, uh, <laughs> it's a, um, sorry, I'm late homebrew my ass. Get that shit down to forensics. As Stan Coombs leans over the bench and goes, yeah, you think that's bad? Wait and t- wait till you try the hard stuff. That is such a dad sentence. So, <laughs> I uh, very much those two characters um, uh, squarely landed in the things that I I relate with conversation.
0: And who said accurate representation was dead?
1: Exactly, hundred percent. It's it's phenomenal. Um, you know, it's a it's a it's very easy, at least for me coming from my experiences, it's very easy to, to just sort of sticky tape a cutout of my face and dad's face on it and just go, Hmm, yes, there's a, there's a, a a memory rather than a, uh, than a, than a movie.
0: Hmm. Yes. Accurate. Next.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Mm, Yes. I do remember this conversation. (laughs)
0: Uh, Question nine. A lot of these types of interviews rely on the question of what would you bring with you to a desert island in order to get to know a person, but that's not what this show is about. What we ask is instead to picture this scenario. You're on a deserted island with no hope of rescue, but food, water, shelter, and all of that have been taken care of so that you won't succumb before your natural time. You've also been provided with a single piece of media and the means to engage with it, and for you it is crackerjack. How frequently do you utilise it, and how long would it take for you to be sick of it?
1: Uh, I would say very easily I could watch this movie at least once a week. Not even a question, probably two or three times a week, as part of my normal viewing. Um, And in fact, I did that for a while. I watched it quite regularly. But I'm odd because I'm one of those people that will latch. I'm that person that finds a song they like and then listens to it on repeat for four days.
0: Um, you squeeze it out like a dirty sponge to get all the endorphins out.
1: Absolutely. I'm going to roll that song out from the bottom so there's no toothpaste stuck in it. Um, <laughs> absolutely. I'm I'm totally uh, that that consumer of media. And so I think very easily two or three times a week, no questions asked for the rest of my life. And I'd be happy with it. It's it's there's enough nuance and humor in it um, that I don't imagine I would get bored. Um, And even if I did, uh, uh, I think the highlights are there enough. You know, there's the um, it's a sports movie. So there's, there's natural endorphins in the, when things go right moment. Um, which is excellent.' I'm, I'm totally on board with that. Um, can I just can I just preface this by saying it's probably a sign of the times that we're in that when you said um, you know all of your uh, your things have been taken care of, um, you've got food and shelter and water and and uh, guaranteed not to expire before you're natural. I went, oh jeez, that's a nice concept. Oh, the luxury. Yeah good grief. What did I do to deserve this? This is fantastic. <laughs> One powerball eh? yeah
0: well your own (laughs) private island and all
1: exactly yeah your own private island you don't have to uh you don't have to consider uh, uh politics or uh the great unpleasantness it's fantastic i'm all over it
0: yeah uh but that is all the questions i had so thank you for indulging me
1: absolutely happy to do it the more people i can introduce to this gem the better so
0: hopefully that's given people a little bit of a deeper insight into your perspective.
1: But, uh, yeah. yeah, as as much as uh, as much as that's safe.
0: Yeah. So before I ruin ruin the show by talking for myself for a while, it's time for everyone's favourite part: a word from the sponsors. Thank you, sponsors. They're truly, one of your best ad reads yet, I'd say.
1: I'm, I'm as much a fan of capitalism as anybody, and sponsors are an important part.
0: Except don't support the army or the casinos.
1: Absolutely. Uh,
0: now, I do have a follow-up review from last episode's enemy of the show, and self-proclaimed stamina potion enthusiast uh, Red, and his recommendation of Gloomhaven. Is this something that you're familiar with?
1: In passing. Um, I am familiar with the, the concept, and it's all over my Twitter feed all the time, but... Um, Not something I've had a chance to experience myself.
0: So, uh, Gloomhaven is kind of a board game version D and D type game. So you do have your set uh, characters and roles, and you run through like story campaigns, but it is all tactically turn based um, grid movement combat.
1: Awesome. Uh, So legacy elements to it
0: uh yes very much so you do like you make permanent changes to the game as you progress
1: that is incredibly tempting um something that my uh my my friend group and i do quite regularly is uh well not as regularly now as we used to but we've we've played through each of the um first couple of seasons of pandemic legacy we've played risk legacy and betrayal at hill uh, at house on the hill legacy um gloomhaven very much i think now on the list of things to to add to that pile
0: yeah i would suggest either looking uh like video stuff or mm-hmm. trying an online version first because okay. the physical version is large yes and can be con- can be time consuming if you are the one basically running it
1: it's also uh with a um with a very brief look um not for the faint of wallet.
0: Hmm. Just just quietly. Yes.
1: Yeah, I just went oh, Gloomhaven in my area. Ah, I'm not that doesn't necessarily intimidate me, but it does intimidate me into an it maybe not an impulse purchase.
0: Yeah, there is the like the baby starter edition version of it which can be folded into the the main game.
1: Gotcha. I think
0: it's the jaws of the lion. Okay. Something like that. Uh, so the classes are a little bit more limited. Uh, everything's oh, yeah. designed to be you learn as you go, rather than throw you right in the deep end.
1: Just looking at that now, actually, and it's it's um, uh, so it's aimed at a more casual audience to get people into the gameplay more quickly, and it is about a quarter of the price. So that's nice yes. as well.
0: But it is a a physically large space requirement that i am aware of so depending on your situation it might be easier to find an online version or even a tabletop simulator Mm -hmm. and run it that way but it is it is quite easily a a game that you can run for two to six players i think is the maximum before it starts getting unwieldy and the the game automatically adjusts itself difficulty wise for how many people you scale
1: up and scale down. Exactly. Excellent. Yep. You've sold me. That is a hundred percent on the list. Now. This is great. I've, I've gone into this as a conversation and I've come out with a new TV show and a new board game to, to experience. That's phenomenal. I'm all over it.
0: Uh, well, this is what it's for. We, we give recommendations in the conversation.
1: Would you say that it's time for me to check this out?
0: Well, hey,
1: he said the it, thing.
0: The thing, the point at the sign, they love that. <laughs> See,
1: they love it when they point at the sign.
0: But I, I would honestly give Gloomhaven a four out of five. Nice. Um, it can be a little bit where it sometimes it feels too much to go through multiple scenarios. Sure. And that is when you're doing an online version where it's automatically all done for you to set up.
1: So it's sort of a day investment
0: Yeah, or it's like you you book a a time of the week. It's like, yep, Yep. cool, it's Gloomhaven time. Set aside the next couple of hours. Right. Oh,
1: that's very doable and I think absolutely on the list. Yeah.
0: So Before we wrap up this, the final ever episode of Check This Out for this recording session and 13th time that I've made that joke, (laughs) could you please tell the audience where they might find you online and if you have anything to advertise?
1: Uh, nothing to advertise other than go check out Cracker Jack. I'm not getting royalties, but I still think it's worth a look. Um, online, you'll probably see me in chat and commenting on, uh, on a number of different YouTube and Twitchy type arrangements. Um, but to be perfectly honest, I don't have a massive outbound, uh, outward facing online presence anymore. Um, I'm more of a lurker than a, Hmm. than a poster. Um, but if you recognize me loudly talking from the other side of the pub, I'll always have a free pint if you're, uh, if you're willing to talk to, you know, a now internet famous uh, uh, podcaster.
0: <laughs> and on that note, I've been El. I've been Chris. And this has been Check This Out, a podcast of media positivity. And remember, measure once, shame on me. Measure twice, shame on you.